0: hi guys welcome back or if it's your first time here then thank you for joining us this is the Dealer's guide to dot 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 with me meg also known as the dungaree doula this is a podcast where we talk about all things pregnancy, birth and parenting my aim is to share unbiased information alongside a bit of friendly chit chat to ensure that you head into parenthood feeling confident and excited for what's to come If you're new to the podcast and would like to know more about me, then go way back to the beginning and check out the very first episode for a little introduction and a big chart on hypnobirthing and then the following episodes for some great birth preparation. And if you love the podcast then you can now leave me a little tip to say thank you via buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. A huge thank you in advance if you do choose to do this. Before we begin, I also want to remind you that I now have a pre-recorded online course. Well, in fact, I now actually have two pre-recorded online courses. I have a new one that came out this week. So the first one, the one that I've had for a few months now, is a full antenatal and hypnobirthing course that you can sign up to and work your way through in your own time. There are over 30 modules to work through, each made up of video content with PDF downloads, hypnobirthing MP3 tracks, relaxation tracks, journaling prompts, birth plan templates, birth partner checklists and so so much more and it's only £37 which is an absolute steal if I do say so myself but you can get it for even cheaper to celebrate the launch of season two you can use the code podcast for 20% off so you click the link in the show notes or head to my website which is the dungareedoula.co.uk and click on the online course page but if you click on that page you will also see like I said there is now another course as well so that one the one I just mentioned is a full antenatal um, and hypnobirthing course but I've just also released a hypnobirthing essentials course which is a shorter course it's only 20 pounds and it still covers an incredible amount of stuff but it's like like I said yeah it's an essentials course so it covers physiological birth it covers all the hypnobirthing tips and tools it covers birth partner role and it covers birth rights and a few other things as well so go and check that out too if you know you want an essentials course because maybe you're short on time maybe you want a refresher because you've taken hypnobirthing before maybe you can't afford the full course you want a cheaper option whatever your reasoning go check out birth courses and yes the link will be in the show notes We're getting into season two now, and I wanted to dedicate this episode to water baths. It feels good to be back recording. But last week, you know, I shared a bit of our home ed journey, so I thought it was only right to get back into it with some actual bath preparation. And I've been pretty stunned recently by many a hospital statistic. So I'm not sure why I still let them shock me. In all honesty, because more often than not, they are slightly horrifying. Um, If you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those infographics that maternity teams within hospital trusts put out. Um, So if you've never seen them, I mean, I don't know, (laughs) I really do recommend looking at them. But like I said, they can be quite horrifying. So every month, many hospitals um, will post on their social media, like an infographic breaking down the ways that people gave birth within that trust. So, for example, like Leeds Teaching Hospital, it'll say Leeds Teaching Hospital. Like 700 births, and then it'll say 40% induction rate, you know, 15% assisted delivery, 80% breastfeeding at birth, blah, 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 blah. I'll say the stats for all the different ways that people give birth. And usually on there, there will be a very, very small percentage of people who have given birth at home and a very, very small percentage of people who have had a water birth, which, like I said, that's the bit that always stuns me. The rest of it, you know, we just accept now. We just, I mean, we don't accept, but we just assume it's going to be, you know, incredibly high induction, incredibly high cesarean, incredibly high assisted delivery, blah, blah, blah. But the water birth rates have been, yeah, quite shocking recently. They're so, so low. So the home birth number always small, usually, you know, around 1%, sometimes getting up to two, three, 4%. Um, but the water birth one is usually the same like often less than 5% of births are taking place in water, which just seems insane to me when it's a really wonderful non pharmacological source of pain relief, which has a lot of benefits. So I thought I would dedicate this episode to those benefits, talk a little bit about who can have a water bath, how and hoping that it might help boost those statistics a little bit more. So let's get into it. Just a small side note to say that this episode is not intended to make you feel like you need to have a water bath to have a positive bath. You can have a really great bath without having a water bath. Like I actually haven't bathed in water myself. (laughs) Um, As a birth times, I was on dry land and both of my um, bath stories I've recorded for this podcast. So, you know, you can go back and listen to them. Um, I had a really, really positive home bath the second time around. I had a physiological labour with no pain relief the first time around as well. And both of those times I was On dry land, I wasn't in water, so (laughs) you don't have to have one to have a positive bath. I'm not saying you know everybody should, but just to let you know that it is a really great option should you want one. So as we get into it, I thought I would have a little look into what is the history of water bath, and you know there's not that much on there, but I thought I'd include a little bit about it because it is quite interesting. So. Giving birth in water has gained popularity really only within the last 50 years or so. However, according to a blog post on the Birth Pool in a Box website on the history of labouring in water, which I will link in the show notes as I do with everything, we can date the very first water birth back to 1805 in France. So apparently the labouring woman was helped into a bath after a 48 hour long and tiring labour and it helped her to better cope with her labour, transition into the pushing stage and birth her baby into the water all within an hour of hopping into it which I just think is quite fascinating and, you know, it makes sense, you know, everything that we know about how physiological birth works just supports this story, you know, that release and the comfort of getting into the water, probably coupled with some of the position changes that she would have had to go through to move into the water, creating that space for baby to move and descend would have really helped this woman give birth. So, yeah, back in 1805 was the first time that, the first time that it's recorded anyway, that somebody utilised Water and gave birth in water. I'm sure it has probably happened before this. It's probably happened many times since. Like we don't have a lot of records about it. Um, But yeah, back in 1805 was the first time we have a recording of it, and uh, it really helped after a really long and tiring labour that woman to transition to pushing within an hour. Like incredible. So let's talk about who can have a water bath. So really, anyone can have a water bath. But, you know, certain people may be told they can't and certain situations may make it more difficult or end up with you being denied access. So... Anyone can have a water birth, and the easiest way to ensure that you can have a water birth is to give birth at home. Like it's as simple as that. If you want to ensure that you are going to be able to have a water bath, then the only way really that you can ensure that you get one is to give birth at home. And to have your own birth pool, you know, either buy one or hire one. Practice setting it up, get your birth partners, practice setting it up, your doula, whoever's going to be there and just getting it no one can stop you if you are at home. So (laughs) anyone can give birth at home. Anyone can get in the water at home. But I know that not everybody is going to opt to have a home bath. So if you still want a water bath, you can still have one in a midwife led unit and you can still have one on the labour ward. But obviously it does depend on a few different things. So first of all, it depends on if your hospital even has them. Not all hospitals have pools. Um, if they do they may not have many so they may only have one they may only have two and if that is the case obviously you can't guarantee use of them because someone else may already be in them when you're in labour so that is quite tricky if you desperately desperately want a pool birth, but you're and and jogging to birth in the hospital and they don't have many then it may be useful to look up if there are any other local hospitals that have more and see if maybe you fancy changing trust or maybe you fancy having them as a backup trust so you know when you're in labour you ring up and if your chosen hospital says that they don't have any pools free, then maybe you ring up the next closest hospital and you see if they have pools free or something like that. Like have a contingency plan if it is super important to you and you're seeming, and it's seeming like you may not be able to get in them because, you know, maybe they don't have any. Or even in some hospitals, I found out recently that in some hospitals, um, the pools that have, the rooms that have birth pools also generally have their own bathrooms. They're generally a little bit bigger, a bit nicer. So those rooms have been getting used for, like COVID um positive people that are giving birth so then obviously you know because they have to isolate they need their own bathroom so those pool rooms even if the person you know who's got COVID doesn't want to use a pool the room is just out of access because it's reserved for people who have got COVID and I don't know if that's still as much of a thing now um because you know they're not as strict with testing and stuff like that but it definitely was at one point so it's something that's worth checking out um, and again making a contingency plan whether that is you know well if there's no pool rooms then we go somewhere else if there's no pool rooms we just stay at home we you know buy our own bath pool whatever it may be and again the same with the midwife led units it may be that your hospital labour ward doesn't have any but your unit does. midwife But is your midwife unit always open? Because again, another thing, midwife units are constantly being closed due to staffing or due to them being used for, you know, people who need to self-isolate and things like that. So it's definitely something that you want to talk about in advance. If you want a water bath and you're not going to be bathing at home, you need to know, you know, look at the stats. What are those infographics saying? Are they saying that only one or two percent of baths a month are taking place in the hospital and ask your midwife why why is no one having a water bath does people do people just not want them which seems unlikely a lot of people plan a water bath why are people not getting them is it because everyone's getting induced and being told they can't use them is it because they're constantly being closed is it because you know people start off using them and then end up getting out find out what the reason is and if it's something that you can make a contingency plan for then make a contingency plan Some other reasons why people may be told that they can't use them is because, again, like I just said, being induced. So if you're being induced, you will often be told that you cannot have a water bath. And actually, this depends on the type of induction you're having. So generally, if you're being induced with anything other than the hormone drip, um, then you should be allowed a water bath. You probably won't be told this um, because they just, I don't know why, I don't know, I don't want to get into it on this podcast <laughs> but generally you're just told that if you are having an induction then that means you have to be on the labour ward and you can't have a water bed and actually this goes against what the NICE guidelines say. So the NICE guidelines actually state that if, you're, what, if your labour is induced by anything other Than the drip, so that could be, you know, with uh, prostaglandins, with the pessary, with the propes, with the balloon catheter, with the um, rods. Then, your labour from that point, if your labour starts from one of those methods of induction, the following labour, like the rest of the labour afterwards, should be treated the same as any other labour. So, it should be treated as if your labour had started physiologically. And that means that you should still be able to use a pool. And there's an incredible um, it, journal on the Ames, um, it's in the Ames journal, there's an incredible article called Water Birth and Induction of Labour by Emma Ashworth, who um, wrote Your Rights in Pregnancy and Birth, which is a really great book on birth rights. And Emma Ashworth, I mean, if you listen to this uh, podcast, you probably already know who she is, but she um just writes about birthrights all the time. She shares lots about rights. She's a really incredible um, author and teacher. And I would really recommend reading the Water Birth and Induction of Labour um, journal. So I will pop that in the show notes as well because it's really enlightening about your rights to still have a water birth if you're being induced. Obviously, if you are being induced with the drip, it does become more tricky. If you're being induced with the drip, then you will have, you know, you'll have the cannula in your arm and um, you will be very, very strongly advised to have continuous fetal monitoring. So that's when you have, you know, the straps around your bump. So with those things, you can't really have a pool bed, especially if you've got the monitoring because you need to um, be on a bed really. I mean, you can be on a bath ball or you could be like sat down or something, but generally you can't be in a pool um, because of all the wires and the electronics. And also most people who end up getting induced with the drip end up needing an epidural because those induced contractions are a lot more painful than regular contractions. So then, you know, if you're having an epidural, you can't be in the pool. But for any other form of induction, you can still have a pool. But like I said, you probably will be told that you can't, because I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's just not an option. Maybe it's the hospital guidelines. Maybe it's just I don't know the reason why you're told you're not. You just told you're not. So read this article, it's got loads and loads of good stuff in it, if you are planning an induction but you're not planning on going on the drip or you're going to try out for as long as you can without going on the drip then you know, get it into your birth plan and talk about it with the midwives in advance so that you they know that you want that water birth and so that you can have it and so you don't have to argue when you go in for that induction to then be allowed into a pool room because you know I've seen it firsthand, it happened to me, if you listen to our very first um, birth story which is Like I said on this podcast, it's something like how hypnobirthing helped when the system meddled with my first birth. I I was told that I was getting induced. I didn't even end up getting induced, but I was still denied a pool room because they told me, well, you were down to be induced at some point. Even though I told them I was never going to accept their induction because they had me down as being induced, they denied me the use of a room with a pool. So, you know, make it make sense. So I would read that article. And I would in advance speak to your midwife, speak to the head of midwifery, whoever you need to, and make sure that it's already, you know, sort of pre-approved that you will be having a water bath. So you don't have to argue about it when you're actually in labour. And there are other reasons as well why you may be told that you can't have one. So things like gestational diabetes, things like having a high BMI, things like having back, VBAC, um, having if you're estimated to have a bigger baby, if you've had a previous shoulder dystocia, there are all different reasons why you may be told that you cannot have one and again like I can't go over the ins and outs of all of these different situations because most of these things you know would be a podcast episode on their own <laughs> and at some point most of those things actually will be most of those things are on the list of things that I'm going to be talking about soon but if you're told you can't have a water bath for any of these reasons so you know maybe you've got gestation diabetes maybe you've had you're having a V back, maybe you've got a high BMI then Look up what the actual research on those things says, if that's important to you, and think about how that would make you still want to have a water bath or not want to have a water bath. Talk to your midwife and say, you know, well, you know, maybe, so what? I've got gestational diabetes. Why, what does the research say about me not being able to have a water bath? Why can't I have a water bath? Talk it out. Look up the research, look up the statistics, talk to other people who have had, you know, similar situations and go from there and if you still want one like I said before do those things so either plan a home birth where no one's going to stop you getting in the water maybe you talk to the head of midwifery and you get it signed off so you don't have to argue about it during labour anything like that if you want to know more about um how to sort of make these big decisions, then go and listen to another podcast episode that I recorded quite a while ago. Um, that is called something like birthright decision making and where to find up to date research because there's a lot of stuff about sort of how to get what you want and how to make more things make sense. So if you have any of these risk factors, I say risk factors in quotation marks, because, you know, some of them are risky, some of them are not, it really depends on your view of risk. Um, then yeah, look up why, ask why, why, why does that mean that I can't have a water bath? Because yeah, some of the reasoning is completely, you know, it's just not, it doesn't make sense especially like i've i've supported clients with high bmi many a time to have water births i've supported clients with gestational diabetes to have water birth i've had hypnobirthing clients who have had uh, water births with a v-back i've got friends who have had water births after having a v-back at home i've had clients have incredibly big babies in pools so you know it's completely up to you it should be your choice um and it's about yeah in that in that episode i talk a lot about risk and i talk about how you should make decisions around what's too risky for you where do you draw the line on what is too risky so yeah there are just a few different reasons why you may be told that you can't have one and yeah i mean the like i said the only way you can go fully fully guarantee the use of a pool is to give birth at home but i know that not everyone is going to want to do that so if you do if you're birthing in the hospital or the midwifery unit then yeah, make sure that, you know, you have contingency plans, and that you, if you've got any sort of risk factors that people are saying to you, well, you can't have a world's worth because of that, work it out before you're in labour, because you do not want to be having those discussions when you're in labour, you might not have time, or it could just end up really taking you out of the zone, and slowing things down, it could end up with, you know, just a whole heap of things, so get it sort of sort it out before the big day and then it's one less thing to worry about and it's one more thing to look forward to so if you want to give birth in water how can you do it like i've said so you can have the pool at home the pool in the middle of the unit, um and the pool in the hospital are there other ways that you can utilize water during birth um the most common one would obviously to use a bath and the reason why it's not always recommended to give birth in the bath as opposed to a pool is purely because it's not as there's not there's not as much room and they're not as deep So a lot of the time people get into the pool and they find a really deep sense of relief from being in the pool and that's because they can move around as well. So they've got like the pain relieving benefits of being in the water, they've got the buoyancy of the water but they can also move around within it and they can find comfortable positions. It's a lot harder to do that in a bath because there's just simply not that room. The instinctual position that most people get into in a pool is not the position that you would be able to necessarily get into in a bath unless you've got a massive bath then maybe you can. (laughs) but I know like in my bath you can only really lay in it one way and that's kind of you know on your back the way most people do lay in a bath when people get into pools they generally instinctively do not get into this position they generally end up in more of an all-fours position leaning against one side of the pool or they'll end up in a sort of semi like squat position with their back against the back side of the pool and neither of those things you can really achieve in a bath There's also the problem with a bath that, again, unless your bath is absolutely massive, that it's not deep enough. um, You need the water to be quite high up your body. Because when you're birthing your baby, you need to make sure that you keep them fully immersed under the water until they're born. So when babies are born, their head comes out first, and then there'll be a gap, generally. And then the body will come out in the next contraction. Not for everybody, but for the majority of us, that is what's happened. If you're in the bath and their head comes out, it might be that, you know, maybe that part of your body is bopping up and out of the water because you're in that squatting position and the bath simply not deep enough but you need to keep them under the water until they're fully being born so let's go into what the benefits are of birthing in water so there are a few different benefits and again like I said you don't have to give birth in water to have a positive birth I didn't but there are lots of benefits that come with it and the first one is quite simply that it's a form of pain relief it's a non-pharmacological form of pain relief so there are no side effects to it you know often you know people say things like just take all the drugs as soon as you're in labor you're going to need all of the pain relief and actually you know for a majority of us if we're having a physiological labour we don't at all but it is nice to have some sort of pain relief and you know if there's one that we can have that has no side effects then all the better so there are loads absolutely loads of non-pharmacological pain relief options again I have another podcast on this I'm getting to that point (laughs) <laughs> like because we're into season two now where uh, I've done a podcast on quite a lot of things. I feel like I've said that so many times in this episode. But I have a podcast on that, non-pharmacological pain relief options, so check that out as well. But water is a really, really great, uh readily available coping mechanism for dealing with the sensations of labour. It has a calming effect on the body, it provides instant relief. Um, as soon as people step into that water like the buoyancy of the water just reduces the feeling of the weight it lessens the pressure on your joints lessens the pressure on your muscles and it just I mean I have seen so many people just step into the water and just you just see them you hear them like let out that sort of sigh. they just sort of get in and go oh <laughs> and it's like that noise but something just feels really really good like people just sort of just change when they get into the water like like even if they're dealing really, really well with the labour afterwards, they almost just like soften into the water and just get into a flow with it. And people just say that it feels amazing. And there's quite a lot of um, research on it. There's a Cochrane review from 2018 and that states that it has been suggested that water birth may reduce the uptake of pharmacological pain relief. There may also be increased maternal satisfaction with the birth experience. And I'll link that in the show notes because it, it goes through, you know, a lot of the suggested benefits of water birth and it's a really good read if you do want to know more. So that's definitely one of the biggest benefits for the majority of us is that it's just it's a very very effective for a lot of people form of pain relief that has no side effects at all the second benefit is that it enhances the environment and it promotes relaxation so if you're new to bed preparation um to very very quickly explain oxytocin is the hormone or one of the hormones that stimulates our uterus to contract and we create it in abundance when we feel really safe when we feel really calm when we feel really loved and we feel really unobserved so it's really important that you know our environment sort of promotes these feelings these feelings of feeling really safe feeling really calm feeling really unobserved so when you think about feeling safe and calm and relaxing, do you see yourself being in a pool for that? Because most people do. A pool really does provide like a sanctuary for the person that's giving birth. When people get in it, I think it almost, it's like those walls around you, like the walls of the pool, they kind of like close you in. And that makes so many people just feel really safe, really unobserved. Like no one can touch me in here. This is my safe space. I feel really calm. And all of these feelings contribute to that oxytocin flowing through our body and that stimulates our uterus to contract just as it should. We're creating it in abundance because we feel really safe and we feel really calm. So for a lot of people, getting into that water just really does give them that, that little boost. Like, yeah, I'm safe, I'm kind of, I can really just relax into the experience, I can let my body take over, I can let it do what it's meant to do and when we feel like that, like I said, our body just works at its peak performance, all of our oxytocin is flowing, all of our oxygenated red blood cells are going to our uterus that birth stimulating it to contract and we can feel really good and everything just happens as it should, we're not slowing it down, we're not stalling it, we're not stopping it, we're not interfering with it, we're just letting it happen because we feel really safe because we trust our bodies we trust the birth experience to unfold as it should and yeah we're just in that pool in our own little world so a lot of people yeah that you'll they'll get into it and like i said from that um story at the beginning like the history that person in 1805 in france this is probably what happened you know her labor had been quite long she was probably quite tired she was probably getting quite stressed she was maybe freaking out a little bit and then she got into that water and probably just felt like safe, like she could just relax and let everything just work as it should. So, another benefit is that it creates a gentle transition from the womb to the world for your baby. So I've spoken about this quite a few times across all of my platforms, I've spoken about on the podcast, on my website, on blog posts, I've spoken about on social media lots and lots of times, but easing that transition from womb to world for your baby is so important. So when your baby is born, they've spent the last nine or 10 months in, for most babies, the last nine or 10 months inside your womb where it is really dark, there are no loud noises They've ne- they're not feeling hunger, they never need like their bum changing, they've never had gloved hands on their body, they've never felt the cool air or anything like that. Then they're brought into the world and in environments where it's not an easeful gentle transition it can be quite a shock right but breathing them into water is sort of the most gentle transition that they can go through so the baby moves from like the amniotic fluid, the warm amniotic fluid inside your womb into the warm water of the bath pool and they can take their time to adjust to life, right? There's no bright lights, there's no loud noises, there's no gloved hands grabbing them, there's no cool air. They're just born into the water. When they're born into the water, they don't actually even realise they've been born yet. And then your hands are the first ones that grab them and you bring them straight up to your warm chest. You bring them up for that immediate skin to skin where that regulates their temperature, it regulates their blood pressure, it keeps them warm. So this is going to be the most gentle transition, probably, that your baby can have. And when they have this really gentle transition, it starts to reduce stress and trauma for the newborns. So it's got a lot of benefits for you as the person giving birth, but there is also that huge trans- uh, that huge benefit there of being just a really really calm and easeful and gentle transition for your baby to life outside. And I think that that's something that's really important to consider because, you know, a lot of the time we're not thinking about that when we're planning our birth. We're not thinking about the actual part when they're born. We generally plan for bed and we plan all the stuff we want to do beforehand. Like, what do we want to do while we're in labour? What are we going to do in the first stage of labour? What are we going to do in the second stage of labour? But actually thinking about that pivotal moment when your baby is actually born as well is really, really important. Now. And how can we make it as gentle as possible for everybody involved? And I think water really really does aid in that transition for babies and also for mothers as well when you're meeting your baby for the first time like I said when you're in water you're the one to catch your baby yourself sometimes when you're on dry land depending on what position you are it can be harder for you to catch your baby so both times I didn't catch I didn't catch Isabel or Juniper because even though I was using active bear positioning I was completely upright I didn't I wasn't in the most comfortable position to catch them myself it would have been quite awkward for me to lean down but in the pool it doesn't matter you've got time to just lean down and pick your baby up yourself and think about you know how's that gonna impact the oxytocin levels how's that gonna impact the bond between you and your baby if you're the one that first gets to touch them and bring them up to your chest it's really yeah so something really nice to start thinking about and then there are other other um, benefits as well. There's quite a few other ones. Uh, improved blood circulation. So being immersed in warm water can encourage our blood vessels to dilate, and that can enhance our blood circulation. And then. In- <laughs> my words improved blood flow and um, can provide more oxygen to our uterus muscles so i've just mentioned that you know for our uterus to contract it needs oxytocin and it needs oxygenated red blood cells so if we have improved improved blood circulation we're getting more oxygen to those uterus muscles and to the baby and that can just promote sort of a more well-rounded a more healthier birth experience again for everyone involved so for you and also for your baby who is getting those oxygenated red blood cells through the placenta crossing through into the baby into their blood brain barrier crossing all of that good stuff that you want to provide your baby with as they are journeying into the world and all of the things that you want to be sending to your uterus so that it can just work as it should and yet, yeah, being in warm water can really contribute towards that one that again i've talked about quite a lot is that it can reduce the risk of tears and episiotomy and you know, if you've listened to the tearing episode of the podcast, how many times am i going to say that? Um, you will know that, you know, a lot of people are going to tear. Nine out of first-time parents, nine out of ten first-time parents are going to tear during labour. But the warm water can really be super helpful for reducing the risk of tears and especially for reducing the risk of third and fourth degree tears so nine out of ten first-time parents will tear but that is very very likely to be a first or second degree tear which oftentimes you know don't even need to be stitched up which just can be left will heal really easily it's really normal and common for these tears to happen But bathing in water can drastically reduce the risk of third and fourth degree tears, which are the ones that, you know, need to be fixed up in a theatre, which are the ones that can cause a lot of problems. So being in that water, relaxing the perineum, reducing the risk of tears is a really big reason why a lot of people do opt to have a water bath. And yeah, studies have shown that it can decrease the need for episiotomies too. So episiotomies are the cut that is made to... um, in the perineum to widen the opening during childbirth and again you know there are different reasons why this may be offered and it's you know it's a very big topic to go into but if you're in the water if you're bathing in the water your need for an episiotomy or you know the likelihood of you being offered an episiotomy it's not always a need it's sometimes you know just that you're offered it um, is decreased so that's a big one for a lot of people And then, yeah, there are lots of other benefits. Um, A lot of them are in the Cochrane Review that I will link below. Um, But there's some other research as well that I will include, include, which is from 2022. And that was... um, burns at all and that showed that there were many reductions in harm with water birth so there were reduced numbers of epidural and opiate pain relief used there was a reduced number of episiotomies which we just spoke about there was a reduction in maternal pain and increase in maternal satisfaction and there were reduced numbers of postpartum hemorrhage as well in people giving birth so there are loads and loads and loads of positive Uh, benefits to having a water bath and that is why I said at the beginning that it's quite stunning to me that such a small amount of people at the minute are having water bath but then it does kind of make sense along with the stats that so many people are being induced and so many people are having cesareans because if you're being induced like I said you're more often than not not being given the option to have a water bath. And something else that I find quite shocking is that so many of the risk factors that I mentioned at the beginning of that are given to people as to why they can't have a water birth, so such as gestational diabetes or an estimated big baby or a V-bag, in those people, they're constantly offered the use of epidurals and opiate drugs which are you know pharmacological pain relief options that come with in lots and lots of side effects so very often you know you're offered these things without being offered something that is very readily available and has no side effects at all So, yeah, it's quite shocking and I would really recommend, you know, if it's something that you're interested in, that you do your research and you ensure that you're going to be able to access it if it's something that you want. And you, especially if you want to use it and you want to avoid things like an epidural or an opiate. Um, if you want to uh, increase if you want to you know reduce your risk of episiotomies of tearing of postpartum hemorrhage and things like that and like I said I will include a lot of the research um, in the show notes so that you can find out more about it and so you know if it comes to it you can even use it you know when you're talking to whoever it is you're talking to about it, your midwife your head of midwifery and things like that if you're getting it sort of signed off. One thing to mention is if you are going to be doing this, if you are going to be going down the route of talking to somebody and ensuring that it's signed off before you go into labour, that you can have a water bath, then you need to make sure that you have a hard copy of it in your notes. You need to make sure that you have got in your maternity notes, whoever it is that is signing you, signing you off for having this water bath, they have made a physical note. It's not enough for them to tell you in person that you will be allowed a water bath because you're still going to have to explain that and argue your point and prove which you're not going to be able to do if you've only got it in like if you've only spoken about it to whoever is attending you in labour so if you are going down that route you really need to speak to somebody and you need to get them to make a note in your maternity notes that is really super clear at the beginning that says that you are entitled to have a water bath whenever you go into labour however that happens because yeah otherwise it could be tricky <laughs> And that concludes this episode on all things water bath. I hope it's been helpful and I hope it's been interesting. I'm going to put like I said that further reading in the show notes. If it's something that you are interested in and you would really like to have a water bath but you're just not sure about how to go about it, uh, if you'd like to discuss any aspect of your pregnancy and birth in more detail alongside this then book in for a power hour with me which is a one hour session to get clarity on your circumstances it costs 50 pounds and I will pop the link in the show notes and remember whilst you are there do go and check out my pre-recorded hypnobirthing course hypnobirthing essentials and the doula's guide to preparing for your birth if you have any more questions come hang out on instagram where I'm at the dungaree doula and please do let me know if you enjoyed the episode do be sure to check out the show notes for all of the links too. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do stick around, like, follow and subscribe or leave a little review if you don't mind. It's so very helpful. Speak soon. See you next week. Bye.